session with Dr. Farid Hulak. Good afternoon and welcome to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tulakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and free podcast on iTunes. Again, the studio number, 310-441-0555. Before I get to some calls, I wanted to announce the book of the week again for this week. It is The Disordered Mind by Eric R. Kandel. The Disordered Mind, What Unusual Brains Tell Us About Ourselves. Very interesting book. Uh, Dr. Kandel received the Nobel Prize in 2000 for physiology or medicine for his studies in learning and memory. And this book is all about the brain and looking at different uh, psychological or psychiatric disorders, things like autism, depression, schizophrenia, and how looking at the brains of these people who are dealing with these afflictions can tell us about how our brains work. Very, very interesting book. Looking forward to sharing that with you on Monday night's show. But let's get to some callers. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Uh, yes. Hi, thanks for calling. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. That's good. Uh, just, uh, I'm just calling regarding my daughter. She's about 26 months. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, she's, she's smart, everything is good, and just pretty much we are following... Uh, So a few questions. The first one is, is she eventually, let's say, when she hides herself, does she eventually come out or she'll stay, let's say, hidden the whole time people are around? Sort of, she wasn't coming out of it. But uh, another day, uh, 
I think it was yesterday or the day before they take it to play group. Mm-hmm. In the play group, she's not bad and she likes to socialize with the bigger girls, bigger kids, like maybe three, three, four years, mm-hmm. six years. She's not bad with them. Uh, but in general, when they come to sort of in, in the area, she knows she, she's hand rich, like she maybe about a meter or two meters. And that's the time sort of she freezes uh, with the, with people. Okay. Especially with the kids. With kids. Okay. So, but it doesn't seem like she completely avoids everyone or stays hidden the whole time and she'll play in certain areas. So it doesn't seem like she can't socialize or she has trouble with it, but maybe there is an anxiety. How long has it been since you've seen this change? She wasn't comfortable with, with others, but for example, with, even with my sister, but just she, once she gets used to it, she starts playing and just this one's happening. But uh, because we have a second child, and uh, second child is about six, seven weeks now. Okay, that was going to be my next uh, question, yeah, okay. Yeah, just pretty much, uh, in my opinion, it got a li- little bit more, but she wasn't putting her head down. She wasn't playing before. But now she's putting the head down since we have a second one. Yeah, so that's, you know, this kind of a change, we have to be aware that for a, a child it could be like a trauma. And especially she was pretty young, so she was just about two years when this baby was born, right? Correct. Barely over two years. So that means, you know, this is a pretty big deal. That's kind of a lower age gap than maybe is ideal because the two-year-old still needs a lot of both parents' attention at two years of age, and she lost to that. And of course, uh, the process of having a baby, although it's a joyous occasion, it causes a lot of stress on the family too, as far as just even having the birth or before the birth, mom is not going to be as available to the child, having less energy, not being physically as capable of doing things she probably could do before. So the child starts to experience some instability from what's going on. And then, of course, the baby comes home, and now there's a new baby, which is a huge uh, issue for the child to deal with. And then both you and the mom are going to be sleeping less, and there's going to be a baby crying. And so we have to be aware that that's going to create a, a lot of uh, stress for the young, the older child. And so that's probably what your child is dealing with. The way you're describing her, she might have been what we call slow to warm to begin with, that she needs a little bit of time to settle in to get used to the environment before she wants to play. Some kids are like that. Some kids go into a playground, they start running around the second they get there. Other kids, they walk in, they need to look around a little bit, they need to get a little bit comfortable, and then slowly they start to explore. And it's not that we'll say one is good or bad, but that different kids can have different types of dispositions, that that's how they're comfortable, and we don't want to make them feel bad for being the way they are. Uh, just like some kids tend to be more introverted than extroverted, and we can maybe make them feel bad about being shy, but we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that they understand that that's the way they are, and that's okay. So I think uh, what your daughter has gone through, uh, having the new baby, is having a huge impact on her. And we have to be aware that that's going to make it harder for her to get comfortable, but we want to make sure she doesn't feel bad about what she's going through, that to make her feel that you shouldn't be shy, you shouldn't hide, you should go play, why are you hiding, this person is not scary, or this is your friend or family or whatever. We want to let her take her time to get comfortable. Now, on the other hand, what some parents will do is they feel that 
okay, my kid is kind of scared of social situations. Let me take them away from anything that makes them uncomfortable. And we don't want to do that either. So it's finding that balance where you keep her in social situations because she needs that. And we also want her to uh, help eventually get over this or get through this over time. Um, but we don't want to overwhelm her either. You guys have to find that balance. And uh, Dr. Tabasum Vahidi was here last week talking about fears and OCD and anxiety. And we're talking about the only way to really get through something or over something is we have to face it. So we don't want her to avoid it altogether, but we really want to make sure we don't overwhelm her or make her feel bad for being shy or scared or whatever it might be. Yeah, sure. Just uh, actually, just that's what we do. So pretty much when we go there, like we, we don't push at all. Like just it is not us. Like Good. pushing is not us. Pretty much, and like we try to keep her in the in the environment, but a bit far. So she sort of starts going in, mm-hmm. and she goes in different like classes since since she was a kid. Uh, let's say. Uh, the swimming and, and now recently putting on gymnastics and she enjoys it but dancing and things like that she wasn't because of the music she's a bit sensitive to the music too mm-hmm. that's another another thing is she's, she's got very sharp ears and uh, pretty smart like she knows A, B, C, D and like uh, now to, to, to me, it's smart, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, every parent thinks their kid is smart. I'm not saying she's not, but yeah. it's always, it's very sweet. You'll always hear, oh, she's so smart, or he's so smart. But And she might be, and she, pro- she could be, um, but it's good. It seems like she's developing okay. And so is she good with things like eye contact? When you look at her, does she make, nod her head yes and no? Does she do those type of basic communications? Uh, with us? Yeah, in general, yes. No, she's, she's beautiful. She's just uh, so bubbly, dancing, and just put the music on. At home, she's just a uh, different person. Okay, no, that's good. I'm just making sure, you know, it seems like she's developing okay as far as, like, when you look at her, she'll look at you in the eyes. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, yeah, she and, look. and she'll nod her head yes and no, and she can do those kind of communications. Uh, just yes, I know, like a long time ago, but recently, instead of saying uh, no, she she sort of uh, starts making noise, say like, ah, like she's a bit uncomfortable. Hmm. Instead of saying no, and it happened recently that that is, I think maybe maybe after after baby or something. Okay. So before she used to say no. Yeah, I mean, so it seems like a lot. This, the impact of the baby is really significant, and so we want to really keep that in mind. But um, it's not that I hear anything that sounds like autism, but the reason I was asking those things about communication was just making sure she communicates in an okay way. She can pick up on things and communicate back to you but because that shows up autism before three years of age. I don't want to alarm you. I don't hear anything that makes me think it's definitely that. I think the impact of the baby is something more significant, but we just want to keep an eye on how she's doing socially. If she seems to be communicating okay when she's comfortable, then she has the ability. So in autism, the child just doesn't have the ability. It's not that they're uncomfortable or it doesn't show up in some circumstances. They just can't. So if when she's comfortable, she's communicating, she's okay, that's good. Because you also talked about the sensitive ears and Children with autism will have sensory motor sensitivities, um, but that doesn't mean every child who has sensory motor sensitivity has autism. Lots of kids do, and so they'll feel uncomfortable with things like uh, touch or taste or certain foods. 
they won't like the texture and even like you said sound or music can be more alarming to them or discomforting to them than other people uh, I'm, I'm assuming she was a baby that was a little bit fussy when she was younger as a baby When I say sound music, she loves it. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to a little bit, uh, for example, the roller that goes up or things like I'm using the drills and things like that, it's just uh, sort of... Uh, now she's getting a bit better as long as she's been notified like it is happening. Mm -hmm. So she's much better. But before she was really frightened of those uh, louder noise. Okay. Does she have any other like sensory motor things like when it comes to clothes? She doesn't like the way certain clothes feels? Um, not, not really. Though. Okay. She's, as long as I know, because uh, I'm the second uh, person who is in contact, but just with her more, like mm -hmm. uh, mom is doing it. As far as I know, she's fine. She's just, since she was a kid, she's wearing the hat and putting those, uh, what they calling those flowers and things like that on the head. And she's, she's fine with it. Okay. She keeps it. And he put his sunglasses on, whatever. So, yeah. you know, those okay. mom, mom's doing some fancy thing with it, and she's fine with it, and she loves it. Okay. It seems like then then those things are okay. She's a little bit more sensitive, like the sound, which, again, doesn't have to mean it's something really serious. It could be just that. And maybe just a little bit sensitive overall, which is why she's getting a little bit overwhelmed or anxious. And I think especially we have to keep in mind how much of an impact everything going on at home, having the new baby has had on her, as it has on everyone else in the family. You guys are going through a lot. So we want to be patient with her. I wouldn't jump to any conclusion yet that something serious is going on. We want to keep her in social environments, keep her comfortable, talk to her, but especially make sure we don't make her feel bad about being shy or tell her she shouldn't be shy or she should go play or why is she hiding and all those kinds of things. Even if it's sometimes with family, people will feel bad and they think, oh, you know, come out because it's family and we, we don't want to make the family member feel uncomfortable. Make sure you make her the priority. You know, her feelings are more important than your brother or sister or any other family member. So you want to make sure we make that clear. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Always say it's okay, just like, just that's okay. Like, we, we don't say, we don't push, like, pretty much. If she says no, she body language or verbally, so her no is, like, our no. Like, we respect her as an adult. <laughs> if she says no, is is no. Okay, good. And we want to, and you know, it's always finding that balance. We don't want to keep her away from everything. So if she says no to everything, we have to still encourage her to do certain things. But, yeah, we don't want to force her or put a lot of pressure on her. So it sounds like... You guys are handling it quite well. With the new baby, I would say be patient to see how the impact is on her and remembering that this is kind of a relational trauma for the little baby. Who and Something that, you know, parents, I know you probably realize this, but sometimes they can almost forget that when we have an older baby and a younger baby, we almost forget that the older one is still a baby, you know, or still a little kid that needs so much love and attention and l kindness and tenderness. Because we have a littler one, we sometimes can forget that. And so we always want to make sure we don't lose sight that this is just a little two-year-old girl who is very fragile and needs a lot of love and support. We do our best towards that, but uh, when the new one, uh, like our son came, so pretty much she wasn't coming to the room, mm -hmm. like our room that the baby was, maybe after that. Because so she stepped in, now then she's been coming on the bed, then after maybe two weeks she came to the bed and she wasn't touching everything, just uh, 
take about a week or two mm-hmm. that process to touch and uh, touch him now he's touching and every now and then come and kiss and mm-hmm. stuff like that so uh, we noticed the improvement and pretty much we try to put her in priority because uh, she's the one who feels things more mm-hmm. uh, but on the other hand as you said it, it, it is a tough time sure. so like it takes it takes time I guess so our concern was make sure it is if there is anything I just get the advice to do the right thing since it is everything is fresh mm-hmm. uh, so as you said just uh, we keep on going as a routine things like going to ri- library programs and things like that so there are lots of things happening and I would say every every second day there is a class for her like swimming gymnastic library uh, group uh, play group it's happening good out yeah keep keep that routine the routine is really important especially because with the new baby so much of her life kind of got thrown into disarray so we want to keep as much of the routine that she used to have so she doesn't lose ever it doesn't feel like she lost everything so that's good that you're keeping her in those classes those routines the things she likes the things she was used to because so much has been uh disrupted in the home that she was used to in the life she was used to that we want to make sure that we keep as much as we can stable so that's great it sounds like you guys are handling it very well i would just keep an eye on how she's doing um you know see how she responds to it over time but it seems like it's a reaction to what's going on from a child who already had some disposition to being a little bit uh, sensitive or anxious and so this is what we're seeing and it'll take a little bit of time. And it's interesting, you're saying the younger kids bother her more than older kids. There could be something about the baby that's also triggering that as well. The, she's a little bit more afraid of the smaller child, but the bigger ones she wants to play with. And a lot of times kids want to play with bigger kids anyway. But nonetheless, there could be something there as well. So we'll we'll kind of, you know, it seems like you guys are handling it very well. I'm, I'm glad I got to talk to you. Please feel free to call back. I, I hear an accent, so I don't know if you're calling from Australia, but please feel free to call back anytime and give me an update how things are going yes correct i'm, I'm calling from australia correct okay. and my wife called before like regarding traveling it was about a oh year yes ago. i remember that yes, yes. okay great well i'm glad you guys are calling keeping me posted uh, have a good rest of the morning there in australia hopefully talk to you soon thank you very much i really appreciate my it. my pleasure Thanks have a good a day take care bye-bye have a good day. you Bye. too all right, going into our first commercial break, studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hey, uh, Yes, <laughs> good. Thank you. Thanks for calling. Uh, hey, I got a question about my 25-year-old son that uh, he's not able to find a job. So I'm not sure what details you want. Um, so. Okay. Um, first off, does the... Has he gone to... What's his education? He's got this engineering degree. Like a bachelor's but, degree? Uh, uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. And it's been seven months. I'm not sure if I'm just being impatient or he's not willing to do anything. 
but uh, his dream job. Mm-hmm. Um, my point is, get a job, make some money. In the meantime, look for your dream job. So, what's his dream job? Um, I don't know yet. <laughs> uh, probably he doesn't know it himself either. Um, so he's saying, I don't want to get a job until it's like a dream, a dream kind of job, and that's it. Okay. But, you know, also, he's an adult, 25. Mm-hmm. Um, in some regards, I have uh, kind of let go of his situation mm-hmm. because um, not to compare him to, my, to myself, but, you know, a 25-year-old uh, should be able to take care of themselves financially, emotionally, Being from a Persian family, uh, I don't, I'm not sure if being Persian has anything to do with it, but I want to use that as an excuse. Um, uh, I still tend to help him mm-hmm. uh, every now and then, you know, $100 here, $100 there, or, you know, uh, get him some groceries. So I'm not sure where to draw the line. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You said he's an adult, but it it seems like you're not sure you're treating him like an adult. Yeah, so uh, I need some help in okay. that regard, too. Um, it's, um, you know, not to get off the subject, I've, I have listened to your dad's uh, series of CDs from child, from the infancy to 19th. I wish I had that uh, 25 years ago. So mm-hmm. I would have done a lot of things different. But anyways, I'm all ears. Okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, even most parents will have lots of things they felt they could have done differently. That's always going to be the case. Um, and obviously there's nothing we can do now about the past, just what we can do now. Just some other questions. Do you have any other kids? Yeah, I have a daughter who's 17. 17, okay. And then are you still married to the mother of the kids, or are they separate in home now? Oh, yes. We're happily married for 30 years. Okay. And then does your son live at home? No, he's uh, off where he went to school right now. Okay. But are you paying his rent? Uh, I stopped about six months ago. Okay. So how is he paying for his rent? Got a part-time job here, and they're barely making ends meet. Okay, so as you mentioned, it's you know because of his age, and we want to. He has to take care of his life and figure that out. Of course, you can be a support or be someone that can encourage him in that way, but it has to be up to him. Now, you mentioned he wants his dream job, and this is something more for him and people like him. And I'm all about people. Um, finding their passion, finding something they love to do, finding something that really excites them in their work. It should be that way. But it also doesn't mean that we're always going to like everything we do to get to where we want to get to. Even the dream job you have is going to have parts of it that you don't like, parts of it that you actually don't like at all, maybe even dislike or hate. And so if we think about our job in this way of like, well, if it's my dream job, I should just love all of it. That's not going to be true. And also the path to getting to your career goals is not going to always be one where you're going to like, 
a lot of what you're doing. We, in a way, have to pay our dues or go through a process to get there. So uh, we have to make sure we don't misconstrue this idea of doing a dream job or doing a job you love with this idea that you're going to love every moment of it and also you're going to love every position you're going to have in your career. That's just not realistic. So maybe he has some of that kind of an idealistic viewpoint of things. Um, how would you describe his personality? And I know it's kind of a vague question, but I just want to get an idea because I have some thoughts about where he might be mentally that could affect him getting a, a job. But w how do you see him, his personality? Not a loner, definitely a social person, mm -hmm. but I think uh, he lacks self-confidence. Okay. I don't know where that comes from. Mm -hmm. Now, in lacking self-confidence, does he sometimes go to the other extreme of thinking maybe even more highly of himself than other people, like looking down at other people? I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. Not sure. It might it might not be true. The reason why I ask that, sometimes people, when they're looking for a job and they're at an entry-level position is where they should be looking, they somehow can think it's beneath them to have a low-level job. Just because you said he wants his dream job, I was wondering if there was something there. If he wants to already work at some high level or have something, you know, like quote-unquote dream job, where maybe that's not where he's at in his career, he needs to start lower. Uh, but sometimes people, when they have that, it's almost an arrogance that they have about themselves that I'm better than other people. They're like, why would I start at this low level job when really that's all they can get at that time? And yes, they can want to have more, but they got to go through that path. So that's why I was wondering if there's something there of him holding back okay. in that way of, I, I, I don't, these jobs are beneath me. Although you're saying he's taking part-time jobs to make ends meet. Um, but I'm just wondering if he has that kind of a mindset that's keeping him from entering the workforce full force. Um, okay, um, um, I understand the question better now. No, he doesn't have the arrogance. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, he feels like if he takes these other jobs, it could affect him negatively in the future job search where he has taken these jobs that are not related to his field and it will draw him uh, away from his career path. Okay. But why isn't he trying to get a what job in his career field? It's a chemical engineer. Okay. But I'm saying why isn't he going into chemical engineering? He's not able to find a job. Okay. Uh, specifically in that field. Okay, so then what's your concern, that he's not trying hard enough to find a job? Um, yes. Okay. Well, that's something you can't really uh, affect. I think it's good that you're giving him the responsibility to take care of himself, although it seems like sometimes you're giving him a little bit more than you'd want. And it could be better to have a structure with him, meaning that you make it clear what you're going to provide him as far as support so that he doesn't just lean on you when he needs it. Rather, just let him know it's going to be up to him to figure things out. Uh, what kind of relationship do you have with him? Do you guys, op does he open up with you? Is he closed off? 
are you able to talk to him about what he's going through? Um, it depends on a uh, day or it depends on a conversation. Sometimes you could have a very superficial talk mm-hmm. or sometimes it would go very deep. Mm-hmm. And uh, in general, it's very superficial. Just like, hey, how are you? How's the weather? How was your week? Uh, every once in a while, you go deep, especially about this one girl that um, I'm, a, I'm, I'm thinking that it's affecting his uh, mental status, has uh, dumped him a couple of times, but he's not able to get over him, over her. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I say dumped him, he, literally she just left him and started dating uh, my son's friend, which is just... Mm. To me, it would be devastating. Yeah, if sure. That to me, but. And you're saying after that, he got back with her? Yeah, I got back with her again, and mm-hmm. he's still after her. I'm like, dude. Yeah. Well, yeah, so I mean, that, you know, that, that self-esteem, self-confidence that you're talking about, that definitely seems to be lacking, as you said yourself. And so I would, you know, focus more on on that part also of how he's feeling and even that could affect him applying to jobs because if we really don't believe in ourselves, we might be afraid to apply for the jobs that really matter you know so he'll take a part-time job or do something else to just make ends meet but he's afraid to really apply because then he can get rejected and, and he might not be believing in himself so as you mentioned he's 25 you can only have so much of an influence even on his life definitely you can't control uh, his life um, but I would see if you can get a little bit deeper with him, you know, focus on the relationship. So rather than focusing on helping him find a job, I would try to help make him have a better relationship with you where you guys can communicate and talk and see what's going on. And we have to be aware that if he does have feelings of low self-esteem, parenting could have been involved. So you can see how you've contributed to that, even talking to him about it and some point there could be an apology or ways you can talk to him about how you maybe have contributed to what's going on or how he's what he's going through of course it doesn't mean well we've made you or we've affected your self-esteem so now for the rest of your life you're not responsible to do anything it's now what are you going to do based on what we're, we're talking about and eventually i would hope he even could go to therapy to work on some of those deeper issues but you know to try to be his manager his agent and help him find a job probably won't work i always tell parents what is in your control is your relationship with him. What he does is not, but your relationship, I'd say at least more than 50% of that is in your power because you're the parent. You have a little bit more that you can influence. And so I would try to build more of that relationship with him because it it seems like something's lacking there in how he believes in himself. And of course, when you don't really believe in yourself, you won't want to apply yourself and you can go to this fantasy world of, oh, I'm going to have this dream job and make so much money and those kinds of things, which a lot of people do. Daydreaming is not a bad thing overall, but it can become a kind of like a drug where people go to it to escape reality. And so there isn't really a path of how they're going to get to their dream that they have in mind, but just someday I'm going to be rich and famous or someday I'm going to be powerful in this way. And they just go there to escape the bad feeling they have. And so maybe he's in that kind of a state where he's not really working towards anything and just feeling bad. And this maybe this girl is having that impact on him. But of course, that again goes back to how he feels about himself. So I would focus more on your relationship with him. Try to get closer to him on a deeper level. Um, you're talking about this girl, talking about how he feels. 
making sure though, when you talk to them about it, it, as you even were talking to me, I can get it that there's almost this judgment of what the heck are you doing? And you want to tell him that, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? But if he feels judged by you, he's less likely to tell you more. So you got to try to understand where he's coming from, what he's experiencing, and then slowly maybe you can get a little bit deeper. You're not his therapist, so you're not going to be the one that solves that, but you might be able to create a connection with him. And I would recommend to him um, to get some therapy. And even that's somewhere where as much as we want to have him support himself, therapy can be uh, pretty expensive. Maybe that's somewhere where I would say you're willing to pay for that for him if really he can't afford it, which might be the case uh, eventually. I wouldn't just bring that up out of the blue. But if you start to talk to him and he shows you those weaknesses, that vulnerability, it might be a good thing to bring up. Um, as I'm listening to you, I remember when I cut off the fund, um, that's where everything went south. Hmm. Um, because he was done with the school, and I told him that uh, I have supported you throughout the school, uh, paid all your expenses, um, but you finished with the school. Whether you get your dream job or you deliver pizza, uh, you need to be able to pay your bills. And immediately after he graduated, I stopped uh, helping him financially. Mm-hmm. Well, and I you, had told him that beforehand. Yeah, well, you know, my my feeling about these things in general, I'm, I'm always a big fan of communication and planning together. So, you know, rather than just telling him I'm cutting it off now, it's like talking to him about, what kind of support he could need from you or how you can be there for him uh, better. It Maybe that could have been a better way of dealing with it than just saying, I'm cutting it off. But I think it is good to give him more responsibility. I don't think that part is bad. But I would make sure it's something you're working with him rather than just telling him that this is what's going to happen now. This is what's going to be next. You know, I'm not going to pay for this. You could say I'm not willing to support you in this way anymore. I don't want to pay for this, but I wouldn't just lay it on him as... The day you graduate, I'm not paying for anything. Uh, maybe he says, I need two months to find a job or whatever it might be. But anyway, we can't, again, go back. But maybe he was hurt by that or he got upset or he felt that you were abandoning him or felt like you were no longer there for him. And so, again, that's why I would focus on the relationship even more than anything else because reconnecting or getting more connected to him will allow you to have even more of an effect on him. So if he's not feeling close to you and then you try to just tell him, hey, do this, do that, you can give him the best advice. But if he's not feeling connected, it doesn't really matter. He's not going to take it in and he won't even be opening up to you to what he really needs. Okay, then I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, I do know that you don't quite understand the dynamic of our relationship, mm-hmm. me and my son. Sure. Uh, but, um, you know, we're not talking more in depth. Um, what are, I'm kind of drawing blank, uh, as to what are the, do you have any suggestions how to reconnect, um, how to open up or expand that relationship? Well, I mean, I think a good place to start is obviously you make an effort to connect, but then to recognize ways that maybe you've either hurt him or you feel like you've let him down. I really think, to me, the power of apology is very, very important and sometimes underrated of just recognizing, you know what, maybe when 
if it, think about it, it has to be genuine. So don't just say sorry if you don't mean it. But if there's anything you feel like you maybe did wrong or you could have been there more for him, even going back to childhood, that could sometimes be a way. And, and you know, for a lot of people, these conversations, it's going to be uncomfortable. He might even just say, okay, dad, yeah, whatever, and just brush it off at first. But it could open up some level of reconnection. So I would try to show an interest do that also show an interest in things going on in his life and make sure yes i don't know the dynamic of your conversation with him or your relationship with him but making sure you don't come off judgmental because that's very easy for parents to do you know he says i haven't done this or i'm talking to that girl again and your reaction if it comes off even slightly judgmental even if you don't intend it to be that's just going to make him close off from you so it's just being open to hearing him out your job isn't to get him to do this or do that it's just to talk to him and be there for him and if he wants your advice and asks for it great but if he doesn't i wouldn't give too much of it and think i have to tell him what to do because usually that makes someone go away uh, if he's not feeling good about getting a job and doing well you know you just reminding him of it is just going to make him feel worse it's not that he's not aware of it so i would just focus on that aspect not being judgmental with him about what he's going through just trying to connect and understand what he's going through more. Yeah, and uh, yet again, um, as I'm listening to you, I I do remember the conversations that I have with him. Yeah, you know, let me. We're at the we're at a commercial break. Let's just. I want to come back with you quickly after the break. So just hold on. We'll talk a bit after the break. Okay. Okay, thank you. All right, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delok. We will be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with a caller. Let's go back to him now. Caller, are you still there? Hello? Yes. Yes, I'm here. Okay. So, we, yeah, you were about to say something before the break. Um, we're talking about your son, who's 25 years old. Go ahead. Conversations been uh, condescending mm-hmm. and judgmental. Okay. About his relationship, yeah. his job search. So. Uh, well, well, that, ac- acknowledging that's the first step, and that's that's good that you're acknowledging it. It's not good, maybe that that's that, that you were talking to him that way, but this is the first step, and that's what I was talking about. Is that if you can, you're gonna have to shift the dynamic, and it's gonna take some time because he's used to you talking to him a certain way so even if you apologize and tell him i you know i apologize for i realize i was being judgmental and condescending it was just i care about you so much and seeing you go through those things i was trying to help you but i realized that wasn't helpful it'll still take some time for him to take that in and feel like he can trust you and so be ready for that that you're going to be on a little journey with him if you want to reconnect where you're going to have to show him that you're going to approach things differently. Okay. Um, it looks like that's, uh, I got my work cut out for me. <laughs> you so, do, uh, yes. Do you, how do you feel about having that conversation with him? Do you, it's not usually an easy conversation to have. Of course it's not. Yeah. So, um, yes, just, um, I, I'm not even sure how I'm going to start it. So, uh, yeah. That, that's, well, it could be worth thinking about being prepared because it's not going to be easy for you and we can imagine it's going to be in some ways even harder for him. And so you really want to think think things through, think about 
what you feel like you've done that you think you could have done differently, what's come up for you, and then start that conversation and be ready. You know, a lot of times I tell people when you have these big conversations, don't think that we have to solve everything or get everything done in one conversation. Usually that's not the case, especially because for a few reasons. One is there's usually so much to talk about and so much to cover. That's one. Another reason is when you open up this conversation, your son might have no idea. So he's not going to really be prepared for it to even share everything that he probably has to say about it. And then also after you have some of these conversations, people usually think and process some things and more comes up. So have that approach that it's not going to be this one conversation that's going to completely solve everything or uh, figure it all out, but it's your opening a door that you'll hopefully walk through together and, and hopefully it'll be a good process that you guys will get closer in that way. Okay, well, thank you so much sure. for your time and, and enjoy your program and uh, Radio Hambra in general. We, we appreciate so it. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Okay, Bye. take care. Bye-bye. All right, let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Hi. Um, thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Thanks uh, for calling. Um, yes, I'm calling regarding my 15-year-old son. Um, okay. So he's been doing online school and uh, because he wanted to. He's had some anxiety and ADHD, so... Traditional school didn't really work out for him, so he's doing online schooling, but I'm um, we're feeling, I mean, he, he's telling me that it's kind of hard for him to do that because uh, you have to be very disciplined and follow through, do your homework on your own. It's basically on your own, even though I'm his learning coach, but he needs to do a lot of it on his own. Um, so um, through uh, the whole process, we, um, we thought maybe a boarding school would be um, one option. And I talked to some consultants, educational consultants, and they told me uh, that's one option that you want to explore. I personally don't think it's good, but I don't want to be because, you know, I'm biased, obviously. But I want to know um, what your opinion is in general about therapeutic or residential schools and um you know if you have any questions specific okay. i could answer well, them for you sure well i mean to my first reaction is it's, it's if he didn't like regular school boarding school is even more like you're just at school all the time so i'm not sure how that would be better maybe you're saying they'd be more accommodating if it's a therapeutic school so my initial reaction was that just seems strange that someone who doesn't like school environment, let's make them live there, basically. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense. Overall, to me, a big issue is to make sure we talk to him and he has to be okay with it. Because for a lot of kids, especially getting sent to boarding school, they can feel very much abandoned and rejected by their parents and their family. Right. So right. that to me is very important to, to be aware of. Um, so I don't know. My initial reaction is not so positive. I don't see why that would be the right solution for him. If he's having a hard time getting his work done, then we got to think of, I would rather think of ways to make that work. And even with anxiety and ADHD, and yes, traditional school might not be for every child. I wouldn't say those are reasons for him not to go to school. Maybe he doesn't like it and we can find a way to make it work. But 
that's also something I wouldn't jump to that conclusion that he should not be in school because he doesn't like it or he's having a hard time. Um, that maybe has already passed because he's not there anymore. But I would see if there's other things we can do, getting him tutors or something. I mean, that's the whole point of school that can help. It's just like people say, well, why go to college? You can go read all the books on your own. There's some truth to that. Of course, having professors and other things helps a lot too. But having the discipline to read and take tests and prepare yourself is something we really almost can't do on our own. So that's why school gives us that structure. It's not that it's the only way, but it can help. So uh, those are some of the concerns I have. Have you talked to him at all about the options you guys have? Yes, of course. I mean, I always discuss it with him, but he um, he tells me that uh, he wanted to go to online school. That was his choice. So I let him try it. But I mean, and I, I don't, you know, I'm very much about talking to the kids and having their choice be important. But I, I just would want to really understand what was the reason for that. And just because he wanted something, I wouldn't say it should definitely be the deciding factor. So why did he want it? Because he was not successful in school. So what happened, he was being uh, teased and bullied at school. And then he was getting in trouble. And he uh, would get suspensions, and it was a constant struggle for him. Uh, so he lost interest in learning, and he thought that he can't do it, And uh, even though he is very capable of doing it. Um, and because of all these other things that's going on within him, he decided that he didn't want to even try it anymore. Um, so... I actually changed his school from public to private, and that also was not good. He he had IEP because of mm-hmm. all the things that was happening. So, so what happened at the new school? The new private school? Yeah. What was the problem there? So the problem there um, was the amount of work was a lot more, and the expectations were a lot more. So it was too much for him, and he couldn't really do it. Uh, now, I tried to get him tutors. I actually asked the school to help him. But for some reason, he lost interest. So it wasn't that we, weren't help, we were not willing to help. It was that he didn't have um, the motivation to actually do it anymore. Yeah, and that's why, I mean, to me, it was more, it, it seems like, I don't know if taking him out of school was the right decision because it seems like he, he was struggling and I'm not saying we should ignore that. Actually, I would say we would, I would rather you address that. Say, okay, if you're not having motivation, what's going on? Is he depressed? Is he down? Is he just doesn't want to try? And we have to somehow encourage him to recognize it's going to be difficult. You're not going to like it, but this is part of life. You know, so I don't know if taking him out of the school was the right idea or even he was getting teased that's not good but then he was getting suspended so I don't know what was his part my concern and what I'm hearing from you is that we're not holding him accountable or responsible for what's going on it's like everything is just happening to him and I'm not trying to blame the victim in this case if he was being bullied let's say because that is very serious and I'm not I don't want to take that lightly but I feel like the way I'm hearing you talk about everything it's like things just happen to him it was too much work, he, that, so he couldn't do it. It was teasing, and then he was getting suspended. But if he's getting suspended, he's doing something. So 
that's my concern is that everything's being uh, taken away from him as far as the responsibility goes. And then when we do that, maybe he's feeling that too, and he's not feeling very responsible for his own life. And so, yeah, he's doing online schooling and he's not going to put enough effort to get it done and he's going to fall behind there too. And so maybe now you're going to the other extreme of he needs so much structure, which he needs more structure, but I don't know if necessarily it means he needs a boarding school structure. Now, we had a shorter segment, so we're at a a commercial break, but I want to talk to you a bit more after, okay? Okay. All right, thank you. All right, you're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Before the break, we were with a caller. Let's go back to her now. Radio Hamra, are you still there? Yes, I'm here. Okay, great. So we're talking about your son. He's 15, currently doing online school for high school, yes. and you're considering some options because he's having a hard time getting the work done. Okay. Um, and you were saying you have talked to him about the situation. Uh, yes, uh, I... Uh, continuously uh, engage him mm-hmm. in all the discussions that I have with um, his psychiatrist and his uh, therapist, and uh, I hired an educational expert to figure out what school is best for him. Mm-hmm. So he's done all kinds of testing. So he, yes, he's definitely involved Great. in it all. But I, I just, I have too much information. I don't know what's best anymore. Uh, there are a lot of options out there, but uh, the thing is, if he's not willing to do it, then there's nothing I can do. So mm-hmm. I, That's why I thought about boarding school. Maybe he should be away from home. Maybe that's the solution. I don't know. That's why I'm asking yeah. your professional opinion about that. What did he, so did you ask him about boarding school? I did ask him about boarding school, and first he said no, then he said yes. Um, so I don't really, I don't really think he knows what's involved, you know. Because mm-hmm. boarding school, obviously, they have a very structured schedule, and um, you know he needs to he needs to stay there. Um, it's not like he can get out and do whatever mm-hmm. he wants. So I don't think he really captures that whole picture. So that's why he's not sure. But I, um, you know, I personally don't want to send him to boarding school, but it's not about me. It's about him. And, and you know, I'm kind of stuck. Okay. Well, yeah, I mean, to me, boarding school is a kind of like a last resort type of uh, option usually and okay. so you know even in him getting his work done so what does he say it's too much or he says i can't have the discipline and if you're supposed to be his learning coach or whatever it's called are you not staying on top of him the way he he needs well he needs to get up in the morning and go sign in online and go to classes uh-huh. and he doesn't do that okay and so so, first, so what does he say he says I, what, what's his like? What's his take on what's going on? Well, he says that it's too hard. What does that mean? It's too hard. It means that he can't follow. I think it means that he can't follow it. He can't follow instructions. Then he has to do homework because they assign homework. So 
So after the class is over, he needs to actually start his own work. Yes. So it's too hard. I can't do it. Uh, and, see, this uh, is my concern about him. It, it seems like he just doesn't want to try. Now, yes. you said he has anxiety, ADHD, but that's why I wouldn't take these I can't or I, it just sounds like he's making excuses. Yes. You know, even what you're saying is like, you know, you have to sit in the class and then do homework. It's like, yeah, that that's school. You know, it's like saying right. I want a car, but I don't want to have, oh, I have to put gas in it every time, every week. I don't want to have to put gas. That's too hard. I couldn't have a car. It's like, yeah, well, if you want to have a car, you have to put gas in it. So going to school involves doing these things. And my concern is that by keep giving him less and less to do, he's kind of lost almost his, I don't want to say it's ability because obviously he can have it back, but it's just like exercise. If you don't exercise at all, then the body becomes really weak. And so if you don't work hard or do anything as far as studying and school goes, then it, it can feel like, oh, I just can't do it. It's too hard to even read one page or pay attention for five minutes. So do, when he's in class, have you ever just sat with him to see what it's like? Or are you, I don't know if you're available to be home or if anyone's home. Uh, so I actually sat with him, and he, you know, he goofed around, and, you know, the online thing is on, and then he's just doing other things. Okay, well, that's, I mean, this is where, so we have, you know, we're going to have to help him, but make him realize, like, that's not going to work. Yeah, if you're, uh, the lecture's going and you're on Instagram, of course it's not going to make sense. Yes. Right? So that's you're That's why I can't get him to do it. This is really hard. Okay, well, you're going to have to be a little bit more firm with him. And I would, you know, going back to talking with him, but let him know, like, look, I can help you, but you have to help you too. It's not going to work. You know, you know, even ask him, do you think it's possible that you're going to be able to do the lecture while you're also online, you know, on whatever else he's doing? You know, he, he knows he's not trying hard enough. So right. that's why I'm saying I wouldn't just give into it's too hard. It's too hard is a excuse. Right. Even even in maybe in the private school, it's too much work. It maybe wasn't. It maybe it was a lot of work, but he just didn't want to do it. And you gave into that. That oh, it's too much work. Then let's do something else. It's too much work. Okay. Well, you wanted to leave the public school. This is this is what we got. Well, the other thing is he got in trouble. So a lot of times the school called me and said you have to come get him. Okay. Because he made uh, weird comments and you know he went up to a girl and said something inappropriate and things like that. So they would call me and I had to go get it. So a lot of times, I I mean, I did push, not push him, but I, you know, was firm that he needs to go to school. But then the school would call me and I have to go get him. So it's, you know, it's been really difficult to yeah. try to figure the right way. Um, so... Yeah, I get that. It, it seems like it has been difficult, a big challenge now, maybe lasting years. Um, was there ever a time where school was not an issue or he was doing okay? Up until seventh grade, he was fine. Okay. What do, what do you think has changed? Uh, I honestly don't know why he he's now this way. I mean, he's taking medication because he... I took him to a psychiatrist because the school asked me to have him evaluated. So I did that. I did a neuropsych test, mm-hmm. which included the educational psych test, and it showed that he has learning differences, like learning disability as far as um, reading comprehension and math, and he also has ADHD, and he also has OCD, mm-hmm. and um, 
so I took him to a psychiatrist, and, uh, you know, he sees the doctor every month and adjusts medication. So medications are actually controlling his OCD quite a bit, so he's doing much better. Mm-hmm. And he also has a lot less anxiety, um, and is his he... sleep is much better. Okay. So is he taking anything for ADHD? No. Okay. Because I'm wondering that, you know, even you said he went up to a girl and did something inappropriate, that... It could be related to issues of impulse control, which can be part of ADHD. So okay. there could be something going on there. So I know he's seeing a psychiatrist, so I don't know if the psychiatrist thinks that uh, your son's ADHD is not significant enough to require medication, but that could be helpful. And of course, you're saying he's having a hard time getting his work done. And okay. if you leave him completely unsupervised and unstructured and he has ADHD, he's just not going to do anything, it seems like. Right. So I don't know. That to me is something to look at, the ADHD, if he has that. Although it would show up usually starting, it's always there. So it wouldn't just show up in seventh grade. Maybe it was there and he was able to mask no, it. it was there. Okay. It was there prior. We figured it out when he was in first grade. Okay. Um, and he was taking ADHD medication in second grade and on, but uh, the medications that he's currently taking is going to conflict with ADHD medication. I see. Okay. Yeah, that's that's the challenge. So I'd, I'm not sure what the solution is there there is for the medications. I'm not a psychiatrist, and he's seeing one, which is good. So we need to figure something out. But the ADHD seems to be a problem. But, yeah, my, my concern is that he's just losing more and more feeling of responsibility, feeling of agency, yeah. and we need to change that. So I would talk to him. We need to really talk to him and get him to see that, okay, it's going to take some hard work getting back into the flow, uh, yeah. but he's going to have to, that's the only way. It's going to be difficult, you know. So, um, and maybe with him, because of the anxiety, ADHD, and the struggles he had, we can feel like, okay, we don't want to put pressure on him or we don't want to make him feel uncomfortable. But we have to be ready and even talk to him about that. Look, getting back into doing, becoming more academically involved, it's going to feel uncomfortable. He's not going to like it. So if we're waiting for it to feel great and he loves it, it's not going to be that way. And so I'm all about finding the right types of accommodations and modifications to make the education match the child. But at the end of the day, there's still going to be a level of it feeling like work. It just isn't going to be pleasant every moment. So if we're waiting for him to love it all, it's never going to happen. So we, I would talk to him about that and looking at these options. To me, the boarding school doesn't seem like a great option. Again, to me, it's a last, last resort, and I wouldn't go there. The child can feel very abandoned when sure. that happens, um, sure. even if they're involved with it. So that's why I'm, I'm more against that, but it's, I think, more about we're going to have to be a little bit harder on him. Not It, it doesn't mean mean. It means setting more boundaries and structures and, and giving him a little bit more responsibility and accountability for his own life and getting him slowly. It's going to be a process. We're, we're kind of waking him up and going back to the exercising analogy. We can't expect him to start running a marathon tomorrow if he hasn't walked for a years you know so we want to slowly get him back in the flow knowing that it's going to be difficult but working with him and even talking to him about that that it's going to be difficult and um i'm not sure if he has longer term goals about his career that involve education let me ask you about that does he talk at all about that what he wants to do yeah he tells me he wants to go to yale i'm like if you i'm like you have to To yale Yes. Okay. You know, it's funny. I couldn't really hear you. It sounded like you said jail. And I was like, that's no, a different no, path. But, you know, that yeah, <laughs> takes less preparation. He wants to go to Yale University. Yeah. Okay. And he wants to become an engineer. So, 
yeah, he has goals, but I'm like, you have to have like a pathway. Okay. Yeah. What does he say to that? He says yes, but I can't do it. No, that's where I would stop him. Can't is 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 a lie. Yes. I'm I'm not and maybe he he won't get into Yale. I'm not saying he definitely can get into Yale 100. percent But as far as I can't do the work is a lie, and that's where you have to be a little more firm. I know it's tough. I know you're having a hard time. But can't is a word we tell ourselves a lot to to put ourselves off the hook. Oh, I need to, you know, it's maybe it would be good if you talk to your mom about that. Oh, I can't. No, it's not that you can't. You don't want to. It's difficult. You might not like it. But that can't word almost always is something that we're lying. Yeah, if someone says a month ago I wanted to do this, I didn't. Yeah, they can't go back in time and change something. But as far as doing something now, when we tell ourselves our can't, that's usually our way of letting ourselves off the hook. And you have to make sure you don't let him off the hook, not by punishing him or making him feel bad. But I think I feel that the story you were telling, you were allowing him to get away with a little too much or allowing him not to have to work hard or feel uncomfortable. And I know that maybe you think your child has some quote unquote special needs and you're trying to accommodate that. But it doesn't mean that we take away all of his responsibilities and accountability. That's actually going to hurt him. You know, it's like if your child has... Um, a weakness in their leg and now we say we'll never walk again when maybe they need to walk to keep themselves going so we want to make sure we don't take away so that word can't i would really stop him maybe you don't have to be harsh but let him know you know i know it's been tough but i really know that you can do it and we have to just find a way and you can get back to that place of doing the work and even remind him remember in middle school you were doing fine so we know you can do it and, and let's help you. And maybe he's really depressed and other things are going on and he can tell you more about what's happening. But I would try to stop him with that word can't uh, and, and encourage him. And even what you, when you told me the story, there was a lot of this. It just it was impossible. It almost made it, you made it sound like impossible when I'm sure it still was possible. The public school still would have been possible. Private school, it was a lot of work, but not too much where there was no choice. And so we want to make sure we don't give in too much to him trying to take the easy route because in the easy route... He'll avoid pain in the short term, but he'll create a lot of pain and even depression in the long term. So, you know, it's really about encouraging him to to get up on his own feet again. And it's going to be a process. There's going to be some resistance. We want to try to work with him, obviously, as much as possible. But be aware of that, of maybe too much letting him uh, being a little too lenient and not having enough structure, boundaries, and a little bit of that toughness that he needs to have. Okay. Okay. Um, one thing I wanted to mention is that every school that we changed, the first two weeks, he was really excited. Yeah. He would get up and do it, and then he would say, no, I can't do it. It's too much. Okay. That Again, that word can't. So it's like, it's, it, yeah, the beginning, anything new is exciting. Then the work starts. The first day of class, you're sitting there, oh, there's all these people, and it's fun, and something new, and all that. Then they start having work and assignments and projects and papers, and it's like, no, I can't. So it's, once it gets hard, he's going to say he can't. And again, he might he does seem to have some special needs or things he's going through. So I don't know exactly what he's going through. So I don't want to say no for sure. It's so easy for him. He can do it. But I wouldn't take that word can't as a reality. Can't is a feeling of it's not possible, but it doesn't okay. mean it actually is not possible. Okay. I found one school that is like a small school and, you know, kids who can't do a lot of good things in the public school or larger scale places and they go here. So I thought maybe I'd start, you know, take him there and see how he does. But I I don't know. Um, 
yeah. It, well, it, I would, you know, hard. I would talk to him about that. Maybe he's open. Give it a try. I think, you know, the way you're describing him, homeschooling is probably not a good option. He's just not going to no. be able to stay. It's just, and again, that was his way of getting out of it. But nonetheless, we are where we are. If there is that school, maybe that could be a good place. But I think you're really going to have to talk to him. And it's not about judging him or punishing him because I can see you've helped enable him in a way too. So we want to take that responsibility. But helping him to get back on his feet for him. It's not to punish him. We want what he wants, which is to feel good and to feel strong and to be able to do things. There's a part of him that doesn't want to do that because he gets to be uh, off the hook and lazy and not have to try hard. But we right. don't want to let him feed into that because if he feeds into that more and more, it's going to be harder to break that. So this other school could be an option. My, you know, your initial question about the boarding school, I'm feeling more and more against that. Uh, I would look at these other options. I think the homeschooling also is not going to be a good long-term option. And we're going to have to right. get him back on his feet, which is going to be tough. You know, he's not used to applying himself. It's going to be difficult. And we can try to tie it into his bigger goals. Um, to get him excited about that, uh, to maybe motivate him. But it's going to be a process. And I'm glad he's going to therapy. He has people that are helping him out. But I think that, to me, this path is not going to It's not going to go well if we keep going that way. Yes, I figured that. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so thank much you. for your time. Thank you. Sure. Thank uh, you for your call. Good luck. Uh, thanks. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Going into another commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delok. We will be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello? Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. My pleasure. Uh, I have a nine-month-old son, and uh, I have a question about uh, secure attachment. Okay. It's very important for me to him have a secure attachment because both of us, me and uh, my husband, who is his dad, both of us, we have anxiety. I have had it for several years. My husband, too. So we are doing our best so that, you know, our, our because of this genetic disposition, I don't like, uh, I mean, I like him to have a calm life and then not to have anxiety. So are there, like, is there any uh, guidelines you can help me through that to see if he has secure attachment or not well you know it's it's funny it's one of those things that if we put too much pressure or if we have too much anxiety about secure attachment we're probably not going to create a secure attachment so it we want to approach it as calm as we can but especially in that first year of life a big part of the secure attachment is meeting the baby's needs the infant's needs as quickly and appropriately as possible so Uh that the child feels that when I need something, when I want something, it's going to be there. Also, it's important to try to keep things as stable as far as routine goes. Everything should be the same. Whoever holds him when he sleeps, the places you are when you're you know, sleeping, uh-huh. you know, all those things, the more consistent it is, the yeah. more likely it is for him to feel calm and secure. But especially it's about that feeling of trust that... Whatever I, I need, it gets met. Of course, the child doesn't understand. It's in an unconscious right. way. But so that's uh-huh. the most important thing is to meet his needs when he needs them. Right, so I understand that. And then uh, we are doing that as much as possible, really, uh, as much as it's possible for us. We are, we, we are meeting all, all his needs. And then almost the caregiver are the same on the main. And then my husband helps me too. But then, um, And, and even with like, that, you know, as far as secure attachment, the more 
because you said something about maid or housekeeper, the more he's with you or the less people, the better. So uh, if you do have a housekeeper or someone helping, I would always say have that person do the housework and less of the baby work. So, you know, you're holding him, you're changing him, you're feeding him, whatever it is. And then if you have help, that they help do everything else. Right. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, I was talking about my husband. Okay. My husband helps me. So when he comes oh, okay. home, like for two hours, up, up, the baby is still, my husband helping, taking care, care of him. But then the whole day, like from 6 to 4.30, that when he comes home, I, I, I'm the only okay. caregiver for my son. Okay, great. And so, yeah. but and like I was saying before at the beginning, we have to be aware, like if we put too much pressure on this, that we want to make sure he's secure and anything he does, if he cries or if he looks anxious, that means right. he's not securely attached. If anything, it's going to put more pressure and anxiety on him. So uh-huh. we want to try to be, you know, you said you and your husband have anxiety. And yeah, so, yeah. and maybe you're already doing things to help, but I would say focus even more on your own anxiety uh-huh. too. The more okay. calm you guys are, that's also right. something. You know, even when you're holding him, if you're anxious, he's going to feel right. it, right? Okay, I got it. Right, mm. right, I understand. That's completely understandable. Yeah, sure. And um, another question is because I listen to Dr. Wolof with CDs, you know, your, your dad's mm-hmm. CDs about, the, you know, parenthood. Um, I mean, completely understandable. That I mean, I, it's not understandable for me. But I want you to explain it to me that when it comes to sleep training, he's completely fine that baby cries. And for me and my husband, although our, our baby like, wakes up at least three times overnight, although now he's like nine months old, but it says uh, we are not very comfortable letting cry, you know? Yeah. So what is the reason that Dr. Hoda? Well, dep- you know, I'm not going to, I can't really interpret something, you know, he said in the CDs and I don't know exactly. But uh-huh. as far as the crying, it's not that you let them cry as forever. It's just right. if it's a few, it could be for a few minutes and then they let uh-huh. themselves fall asleep if they can do that. Uh, and uh-huh. they can sometimes start doing that even six months or 10 months. It depends uh-huh. on the baby. So it's not just to let them cry indefinitely forever. Uh-huh. But if it's just a minute or two or a few minutes, then uh-huh. then we can let them fall back asleep. So uh-huh. it's more in that sense. Yeah, I understand. But he cries longer than that. Do you have any Okay, then I would, I, you might have to pick him up. It depends. Sleep training is not, there's not just one way of doing it. Uh-huh. So, you know, and every baby can be different. So I don't want to tell you that there's only one way to sleep train your child. Um, But when it comes to the the secure attachment and things like, for example, at his age, separation anxiety and stranger anxiety, those are natural things he's going to experience. Because Uh as he gets closer to, let's say, 10 months and even older, he starts to become aware of the fact of object permanence, meaning that uh-huh. when you're not there, he can still think of you, and that can create an anxiety. So, but I, the reason why I'm bringing that up is that you realize when you, if you're so worried about him having anxiety, then even uh-huh. when he shows a natural anxiety, you might uh-huh. think it's something really bad. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Right. So that completely makes sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. That's like giving me more. more uh, uh, I feel more uh, relaxed now. Okay, good. And like I said, that's what I would focus even more on is having uh, less and less, working on your own anxiety. This is for all parents to do that. But yes, thank you for your call. Thank you so much, doctor. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. So, you know, something that came up in that call 
uh, as I was saying at the end, is for parents to realize, you know, we look at all these techniques and, and things that are very important to see how to do things, how to handle different situations. Also very important to understand child development, to know what's natural and normal and to be expected. Because again, as I was saying to her, things like stranger anxiety that might show up around 10 months or separation anxiety, these are natural things. It makes sense for the child to, to feel a, a little anxiety when they get separated from you. They're not going to like that. In an evolutionary sense, we can get that the baby being so dependent on the parents is going to feel an anxiety when they're separated. And even it can make sense for the baby to cry to be reunited. So we want to know and be aware of what to expect. And also when a child is doing something normal, even if it's crying, even if it's something that maybe seems unpleasant that this is natural and we don't want to get overwhelmed or feel more anxious because the more anxious we get about what the child is doing the more it's going to make the child anxious they pick up on that and something i also mentioned to her that i wanted to reiterate was this idea that as parents you have to make sure you're taking care of yourself emotionally if you are very depressed if you are very anxious if you're angry all of those things are going to affect your child they are like a sponge so sometimes we think well, I got to do this or do that and it'll work with my child's sleeping problem or wetting the bed or whatever else it might be. The techniques are important, but if you're not aware of your own emotions and how those are affecting your behavior, your interactions, even just the way you're even breathing, as I was saying with her, you can hold a baby and the child can feel how the mother or the father is feeling and they'll absorb that. So we have to make sure we take care of ourselves emotionally in taking care of our kids. And I always tell this to parents. Sometimes they'll come into therapy saying that they're there for their child and you can just see that they're overwhelmed or stressed or very depressed or anxious. And when I ask them, what about therapy for yourself? They say, oh, no, no, nothing for me. I just do everything for my kids. Everything is about my kid and I just want to make sure my kid is okay. And what I always let them know is one of the best ways you can take care of your child is to make sure you're taking care of yourself. If you are not okay, if you are stressed, if you're anxious, all of those things are going to affect your child. When your child cries, if you're overwhelmed, the way you respond to their crying is not going to be in a healthy, secure, supportive way. You're going to be overreacting. You're going to be uh, making the child feel even less calm. So we have to make sure we are a good, stable force. Doesn't mean we're going to be perfect. Doesn't mean we don't have any anxiety or depression, but it's in making sure we make everything manageable in our own emotional lives because then we can better take care of our children. And the idea that I don't do anything for me, I do everything for my kids is not a good one. You're not being a good mom or dad if you're not taking care of yourself and you really can't be a good mom or dad if you don't take care of yourself physically, emotionally, and in every way. So always be aware of that idea that we have to take care of ourselves in order to be better caregivers to our children or to anyone else, whatever that situation or circumstance may be. The techniques are important. They can be very helpful, but we have to take care of ourselves. So I always recommend for parents, especially when you have a toddler, your baby can't go to therapy, but it could be good for you to go to therapy, to deal with all the stress, to deal with everything you're going through. Being a parent is difficult, whether you're a new parent or it's your second or third kid. It's always challenging but taking care of yourself is your responsibility first and without taking care of yourself you really can't take care of someone else 
Let's go into our last commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Jawakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Yes, hi. Thanks for calling. Hi, how are you? Good, thank you. Good. I hope I can explain my situation for you. Okay. I have a, uh, three uh, kids, and two of them is uh, around 18 and then 16, uh, 16 and a half. And I don't know how to deal with them uh, because uh, they go to the high middle school. Since uh, they finish the middle school, they go to the high school. I see they right now in the, uh, I don't know, all the high school is like that. They, they want to uh, start drinking mm-hmm. in the age of the, I don't know, 16 or 15. And then I didn't know how to deal with them. And then right now I find out my kids, uh, especially my son, I start to using the uh, e-cigarette, like the jewel or something. Mm-hmm. And a couple of times I find it and I explain it to him. It's not good. And we told him and my husband talked to him also. And then uh, he's hiding it. And then he said, I don't do it. But... And I don't know how to deal with this. And then we talked to the doctor, and doctor explained it for him. He's doing the very good effort. Mm-hmm. He's doing the bodybuilding, everything. And he's looked a little bit is uh, older than his age, and then uh, more mature and like a little bit like the macho man. And then I don't know uh, whatever I tell him. He said uh, he doesn't listen to me. Uh, and he's, uh, he's not accepting it. And I don't know how to deal with this one right now. Yeah. Well, it's it's a difficult situation. The uh, This e-cigarettes, vaping, jewels, there's lots of different names for them. They're unfortunately becoming very, very common. Uh, and you, most, I don't want to say most kids, but you just see it a lot in high schools, even in middle schools, junior high. Kids are getting into it. It's very easy for them to get access to it. And... They think it's not really harmful for them, and they'll find ways online. But even before cigarettes, kids don't care too much about harmfulness. So when you tell a child, oh, you're going to get lung cancer or these kinds of things, they don't care. Even adults, we don't care so much as far as it's likely not going to make us change our behavior most of the time, even though you would think it should. But especially to a 16-year-old, when you tell him these are the health issues, it doesn't make so much of a difference. Even... Uh, I remember one time reading a study that showed that what actually affected the kids more when it came to cigarettes was telling them it was going to make them look worse, like make their teeth yellow and make them get wrinkles at a younger age. That had more of an impact than saying you're going to die earlier and get lung cancer because they cared more about that and that was more immediate. But if you say in 50 years you're more likely to get lung cancer, they say, oh, whatever. And they have a feeling of invincibility that nothing is going to affect them negatively. But anyway, you know, it's a tough situation because really you you can't control your child and you have to accept that fact that okay. if he wants to smoke them, he will. And by that I mean you can tell him don't do it, but he can hide it from you. It's not very difficult to yeah. hide. And even actually e-cigarettes are easier to hide than marijuana than other cigarettes because they don't really have much of a smell or it's very it's less yeah. of a smell. So if you try to control him, if you say we're going to force him not to do it, 
you're just going to ruin your relationship with him. And if he wants to do it, he'll do it anyway. So I would try to take that goal away from yourself that I have to get him to stop. Because if you make that the goal, every interaction you have with him is going to be about that and it won't make a difference. Um, so I wouldn't try to, to force him. You can have rules like you can't smoke at home and you can talk to him about uh, how you feel about it. But at the end, he's going to make his own decision, which might be hard to accept, but you have to at some level accept that. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you can try to talk to him about it. And again, it comes back to the relationship, as I was talking about some other parents earlier today. But he's probably going to make the decision. The, the health, as far as his um, athletics go, that maybe will have an impact if he cares about being good at sports. And he sees that it's affecting his breathing and his cardio cardio ability, maybe. But um, you but know, he said I don't care. Even in the sport, uh, he chose the uh, football, American football. Uh -huh. I told, and I don't like it. But I cannot convince him to doesn't do this kind of sport. But and he said I don't care. And then I was thinking maybe I go to a school. I talk to the, his coach and. I, I am not sure what to do. And then talk I to his coach to do what? To maybe talk to him or something. If you want to play uh, football, you cannot do this. I don't know what to do. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the coach can do anything. And if anything, your son will just get more upset with you that you went yes. to his coach and told him that he does this and tried to get him involved. So I know your feeling is you want to get him to stop. Yes. But... I know it might be hard for you to accept this, but I would try to take that away as your goal because you yeah. can't control him. And if your only goal with him is to get him to stop using these e-cigarettes, all you're going to do is sacrifice your relationship for him or with him, and he won't stop anyway. So it's tough, but I wouldn't make that the goal that okay. we have to get him to stop. He's, he's going to either do it or not. You can try to get closer to him, see what's going on, talk to him, but lots of teenagers they experiment with these things unfortunately they can be harmful even at that age and of course it could turn into smoking and addiction and even worse things so i understand your concern but this is something that we have to accept that when our kids become teenagers they get exposed to certain things and at some level we have to trust their decisions like i said you can have rules in the home and talk to him about it that he can't have it in the home or smoke in the home or whatever he doesn't uh, do it in front okay. of us. It's hiding it. But I thought, um, I don't know if, if this is a good uh, idea to tell him. So if you I we are not going to support you to go to the gym, if you want to do that, I don't know. Or I mean, but the thing is, again, he, he first of all, he can hide it. That's yes. one. So he can tell you I'm not doing it and do it. And secondly, if we take away the things that are healthy for him and good for him, I don't know if I would like that as a form of punishment. The gym is good for him. I know you're saying he likes it because he's into bodybuilding and, and maybe he would get offended or uh, not offended, but uh, upset. But I don't see that as a good solution because you're taking away something healthy um, that is actually going to help him as his punishment. And I don't think it's going to make much of a difference. I'm sorry. Okay. And but maybe uh, one more thing. Maybe I can... Um, I forgot... Uh, he's taking the medicine for the uh, just a, a couple of months, uh, maybe since uh, this year or the maybe end of the, that year. 
he said, I cannot attention at the school, whatever they're talking, I don't get it. And then uh, we get the evaluation, or, and then they told me they can, uh, she can, he, uh, they can, he, she can use the, I'm sorry, he can use the medicine for the a, ADD, uh, that is the Vyvanse, or the, I don't know what they mm-hmm. call it. Uh, and then he's taking this, and maybe I can tell him if you are going to uh, use the cigarette, I, I am not going to okay. take this medicine so, for you. <laughs> I think maybe you're missing what I'm saying. I wouldn't make it your goal to make him stop. No. No. That, that's no. my, that would be, because you're not, you can't. It's I not can't. just, I don't, I don't, it's not that I want him to smoke. I would rather he doesn't smoke e-cigarettes also. But I want you to recognize that you can't stop him. And again, taking away things like this medication is maybe very good for him. I don't know, you're saying he takes it every once a month or something that's a little bit strange usually those types of medications you no, take no, every day no uh, he uh, no he he take it every day but oh. he has started from last okay. last year maybe end of the year okay. and then it's still continuing okay. from the beginning yeah. of so, this year again so this is like even more than maybe the gym or it's different than the gym something that's good for him i wouldn't take it away as a punishment so okay. I, I i if you can and i think it from what i'm seeing based on saying it a few times and I don't think you want to hear it but taking away your goal of making him stop is no. probably going to be better because if you try to get him to stop you won't be able to and you're just going to ruin your relationship with him okay. so it seems like whatever I say you come up with another way of trying to punish him to make him stop punishment's not going to make him stop doing it okay. all he'll do is he'll either hide it from you or he'll just find a way to you know, it just won't help him. And again, if he needs this medication to do well in school, then you take the medication away, he's going to start doing worse in school. He'll get involved in even worse things. It's not going to help him. Yes. Okay. So I don't do anything. And- I mean, yeah, I'm not saying, you know, you could talk to him, you can have conversations, but if I were you, I would take away that your goal, because right now I've seen parents that become this way. They become so obsessed with one thing that every interaction they have with their child becomes about that one thing. Did he smoke today or he didn't? Let me see if I can smell it on his clothes. Let me see if I can find it. Or let me talk to him and look at his eyes. And then you lose all kind of relationship with him when you become yeah. obsessed with that. Yeah. So I don't know if someone's scrubbing a pan or something, but I hear something in the background. Um, but you, you lose all connection with him. So if you keep staying obsessed with this idea of stop smoking, stop smoking, stop smoking. Is he smoking? Is he not? Did he do it today? Did he not do it? Which friends do it? Which don't? You're just going to sabotage your relationship with him and it's not going to make a difference you can't but, stop him so but I, I i can talk to him and i can tell him i know you are doing this but this is not good for for you he already uh, knows he already knows yes. you know he already knows you think that so yes. you probably have already told him so i don't yes. think there's any point he already knows you don't he knows you don't like it there's no hiding it he's not unsure if my mom wants me to smoke or not he knows it's not good for him and although if you tell him it's not good for him i'm sure he'll tell you it's actually not bad for you and he'll find you articles online that show that see it's just water and vapor so it's actually not bad for you even though that's not really the case it's not good for you and there's lots of different types of these things of e-cigarettes and it's not they're definitely not harmless they have an effect so if you're trying to convince him that it's unhealthy and that's going to make him stop again it's not going to make a difference he's already where he is yeah thank you very much doctor can i ask you one more question sure go ahead and also i am worried about this medicine 
this medicine have a bad side effect because I am a little bit worried about this medicine. If you get addicted to this kind of the medicine, I don't know what to do. Should I do find a place to take it for the biofeedback? I don't know. Well, you can do that too. Is he seeing a psychiatrist? Um, not really. He doesn't see a psychiatrist. Uh, we, we went a couple of times. No, he doesn't see a So who gives him the medication? Just the primary doctor, but okay. the psychologist recommended, and but before we had a kind of evaluation for everything, and then um, they give me, uh, and then we talked to the psychologist, and he said I cannot attention at the school, and then I talked to the primary doctor, and then well, they no, I would recommend him seeing a psychiatrist, because that's that's, and and then keeping seeing that psychiatrist because. We want to make sure the person prescribing it is the person who should be prescribing it. And unfortunately, something like two-thirds or three-fourths of psychiatric medications are prescribed by non-psychiatrists, usually by the general practitioner. And it's not that that's always bad, but I would always recommend going to the person who's the specialist. And in this case, if it's a psychiatric medication, I would definitely recommend that you take your son to a psychiatrist. Thank you very much sure. for your advice. Sure, thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great much. day. Bye. Bye-bye. You too. Bye. So, you know, that caller brought up a topic that comes up a lot. I work with a lot of families and just all the teenagers that you encounter, e-cigarettes are becoming very common. And I think it's unfortunate. You can see that they are definitely catering them or advertising them in a way that's friendly to the younger generation, just like the tobacco company was doing itself a few decades ago. So this is an issue that parents are dealing with and they're doing research on it and I actually maybe we'll look into it a little bit more about the health consequences of e-cigarettes. But unfortunately, we see this with almost anything. If it's marijuana, whether it's e-cigarettes, the parents will say it's bad for you and then if you talk to the kids, they'll find articles online that'll say, no, it's not bad for you. Here's saying that it's not bad. The truth of it is, It's not that it's the worst thing in the world, but definitely these things are not harmless. And especially with the e-cigarettes, there's lots of different things that go into them, sometimes chemicals, sometimes flavors that might have things in them, and sometimes you won't even know exactly what's in there. So unfortunately, I think this is something that we need to be concerned about, that these kids are smoking these e-cigarettes that are being, uh, in a way, advertised or marketed to them, even though no one would acknowledge that but it's becoming very common that these kids are getting involved with these things. But as I mentioned with this parent, unfortunately, or in a way fortunately too, we can't control our teenagers. You know, If they want to do something, we can think we can stop them, but they'll find a way to be one step ahead of you. They'll hide it, they'll do whatever they need to do, they'll get rid of the evidence, and they'll find a way around it. So if you think you're going to control them into not doing something or even into doing something, That's not going to work. And even that mindset or philosophy of parenting is going to get you into trouble. Uh, The idea that as a parent, I'm supposed to control my kid, to me, is not at all the way we can approach parenting because you can't. We have a hard time controlling ourselves, getting ourselves to do what we want to do consistently. So how can we expect to control someone else? You really can't. And our role isn't to do that either. We have to allow for our children to make their own decisions and to live their own lives. We can be there for them. We can set boundary structures. There can't even be consequences for things. I'm not saying you don't care at all, but to think I'm going to win this by controlling them, 
something I felt the caller was saying a few times, well, what if I do this? What if I do that? If our goal is control, you're probably going to fail. Not only fail in getting them to do what they're doing, but you're going to damage the relationship that you have. And that's the thing I mentioned with the previous caller too, that is most in the control of the parents is your relationship with your children. And the thing is, the better your relationship with your children, actually, the more likely they are to listen to your advice. When parents are close to their kids, the kids feel like they understand them. The kid feels like you get them. You have their best interests at heart. They have a good relationship that's loving, trusting. They're much more likely to take your advice. They're much more likely to hear you out. So you can tell a kid that smoking is bad for you. First of all, they probably already know that. But if they don't care about what you have to say, they won't care about that advice either. And so we have to be aware of focusing on the relationship and then trying to create that trusting relationship where your child will want to know what you think. And then it might have some impact. And still at the end of the day, we have to let them make their own decisions because we can't make them for them. That's not how life works. It's not possible. And just hope and trust they make the good ones. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to do things that aren't good for them sometimes. That's part of being a human being also. But we just have to have that trust and let them make those decisions. When control is the goal, we ruin the relationship and we don't reach that goal anyway. All right, we've reached the end of today's show. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners out there. Azalea was here in here before. Amir is here now. Thank you to both of them. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. Have a wonderful day.